0: Lord, we thank you that you are in control, as the song says. We thank you that you know the time, that, uh, that you have great wisdom far beyond anything we can comprehend. Lord, as we look at your word this morning and as we think about wisdom, we, we pray that you would impart more of it to us. We pray, Lord, that in the meantime, that we would learn to trust you more even when we don't have the answers. Thank you, Lord for the chance to be here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're normal, which I'm sure is debatable uh, for some of you, you're thinking the same thing about me, and that's okay. But if you're normal, which all of us to a certain degree are, uh, then you face things each week for which you need wisdom that you probably don't think you have. Uh, It's interesting to me that no matter how old a person gets, I always encounter someone who's in a stage of life or two or three ahead of me, and they are struggling on how do I deal with this particular issue. Uh, In my life, I'm dealing with uh, now having four children who are growing up, and in just a few short years, we'll have one teenager, and a few short years after that, we'll have two and then a few short years after that, we'll have three all at one time with one more coming up right behind them. I have no idea how to raise teenagers. Now, I used to be a youth pastor. And you know, all the stuff that I told those parents about what they should do with their teenagers and all, I had no clue what I was talking about. None whatsoever. Just made it up. Just trying to, you know, do the best that I... No idea. But we need wisdom for every stage of life. You may be a person here who's retired, maybe in the latter third of your life, and you say, I don't have any clue how to deal with what I'm facing. And it's like that for every stage. You're going to encounter things this week for which you'll need wisdom that you may or may not think that you have. I want to give you a few uh, what I would call ethical dilemmas. Let's just say, for example, that you encounter a situation like this a client of the company is facing some financial problems he buys certain products from your company at a very high rate which he can get at a much cheaper rate from one of your competitors now the ethical issue should you communicate this information to your client the wisdom to know what to do in real world situations here's another the company plans to launch a product and some of the ingredients may be harmful for the health of the users in the long run as an employee should you participate in that project. You need wisdom to know what to do in a situation like that. Maybe a third one. The company is making losses but the management of the company inflates the profits and the financial statements to appease the shareholders, the lenders, and the customers. Is that ethical? Is that right? And what should you do in response? You see the real-world situations that some will face every single day. What do I do with all of that you need wisdom you need to know how do I handle those things before they happen because most of the time we get it backward and I want you to know that as much as I hope to get across to you this morning as much as I believe the scripture will speak to us about wisdom and its great value for our lives the wisdom that you receive each Sunday morning here at Elm Grove from the scripture is not enough to last you the entire week it's wonderful but it's not enough if you consider that you only ate one meal a week you would eventually starve to death or be severely malnourished and yet many of us are that way spiritually we come on Sunday morning and I'm so glad you're here I'm not saying don't come I'm so glad you're here but if you think or you have been fooled into thinking that this wisdom that this meal you get spiritually will be enough For Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, then unfortunately you have been fooled and you are mistaken because you know as well as I do that there are times when you run on empty in your spiritual tank and you say, what in the world happened? And then you come to church and you figure you get filled up and that's wonderful, but I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning to leave here determined, yes to soak up the wisdom from God's word that I hopefully will communicate to you well this morning, but also to be a person who seeks wisdom from the Lord each and every day of the week, because you need it each and every day of the week. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes, the book that we've been studying for the last few weeks and that we'll continue to study for the next few weeks. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, right after the book of Proverbs, will be in chapter 8 this morning. Ecclesiastes is a, a kind of an odd book, if you've ever read it. And I've talked with people now that we've been in this study for a while who say, you know, I read the book of Ecclesiastes before and I was a little confused and not sure exactly what he was talking about. And I was the same way. And so I've learned a tremendous amount by studying this to prepare to preach each week. And I think it's been shown to be what it already was before, a very helpful, very practical, very God-oriented book, though the, the voice in the book, the main voice, sort of takes a godless approach to life. What if God were not there? What if you did not have God involved in your life? These would be the results, so to speak, and we're seeing those different things. Now, the the teacher in in the passage that we'll get to this morning connects to all this, the teacher in the book, or the preacher if your version says that, has been on a quest to find what, if anything, has any meaning in life and what really is meaningless. And so he's examined a lot of different things. And you, and you know, if, you, if you've gone back and you've, you've been here, you know we've talked about a lot of different things that ultimately don't have much meaning. But he keeps coming back to this search for wisdom. And he's trying to prove, in essence, that wisdom has no meaning either. And so this passage, what he's going to do is, is kind of once and for all, he'll examine it. He'll show to us the limitations of wisdom that we'll see and need to be very honest about. But he'll also show us, I think, the great value And ultimately, he's going to make a recommendation about how we should live in light of the limitations, but also in light of the value of wisdom. So we're going to look this morning at the entirety of chapter 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. So if you've got your Bible open and you're ready, I want you to to look at it uh, as I read it. Who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? A wise man's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command. Concerning an oath by God, do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful. And a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure, even though man's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and no one has authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to the work that is done under the sun at a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did so. This, too, is futile, because the sentence against a criminal act Is not carried out quickly, therefore the heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit crime. Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is a futility that is done on earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this, too, is futile. So I commend enjoyment, because there is nothing better for a man under the sun except to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the years of his days that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. The teacher here shows us the great limitations of wisdom. That seems to dominate the passage, but I think there are some subtle values that he also gives us in wisdom. Now, when we talk about wisdom, I want to define the terms first so you know what I'm talking about and what the Bible is saying here. Some have defined wisdom as just skill for living. I mean, if you were to write your own definition for what wisdom is, you may say, well, it's knowing what to do at the right time, or it's having some knowledge and knowing what to do with that knowledge. Uh, Some people would consider wisdom as just kind of the art of being successful in life. You probably know folks like that. They just seem to know exactly what to say and when to say it and what to do and so on. You might consider them a wise person. Others would say that wisdom is just sort of a philosophical understanding of life, that it really doesn't have any any sort of boots on the ground feel to it, no real practical application, but you just kind of understand things. You can you can be a philosopher. Now, what we get from the Bible is a little different from both of those. Wisdom, according to the scripture, is not just how to succeed in life, and it's not just how to understand a few things that maybe others don't get. Uh, wisdom, according to the to the literature in the Bible, uh, ultimate wisdom is not derived from us as humans, but from God. It is a gift from God that must be sought after, that must be, be approached and desired, but it is certainly something that gives us the ability to understand who God is, what He wants from us, and how then we should live as a result. The biblical imagery for wisdom, if you've ever read Proverbs, and if you're looking for how should I... How should I live on a daily basis? Proverbs is a really great place to start. Proverbs holds up wisdom as jewelry, as wealth, as silver, gold, uh, as fruit, as a a yield on a crop, as success and a a reward. Uh, Proverbs shows wisdom as the pathway that leads away from destruction and toward life. Wisdom's role in Proverbs is to guard us, to deliver us, to save us, to protect us. Uh, The Bible tells us that a wise person will keep the commands of God, be obedient to him. We'll have discernment, knowing what to do and what not to do, and we'll be humble all at the same time, which is a very difficult combination. Wisdom, according to the Scripture, is a blessing. It's a benefit to those who obtain it. And not just some kind of benefit that doesn't affect your life, but a benefit and blessing for your daily activities, not just in a philosophical sense. Uh, The book of Proverbs and all the, the wisdom literature in the Bible applies wisdom to eating and drinking and work and marriage life, and just everything that you encounter on a daily basis. The Bible tells us that wisdom begins with reverence for the Lord. It says in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord, reverence for the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And ultimately, as we fast forward to the New Testament, we know that Jesus comes as the full wisdom of God, and he is associated with that throughout his life here on earth and certainly uh, even now after his ascension. So that's the definition of wisdom, far beyond just knowing what to do, but it is a gift from God that enables you to understand Him and understand life and then apply those things to be a blessing and benefit to you. Now, even saying that, we realize that not everyone will get their wisdom from God. There are a variety of of sources that you can seek out for supposed wisdom. Every culture, every country, every people has these things built into them, and and we'll, we'll search and we'll apply wisdom from whatever source we might think has value. Uh, if you think about through history, some of the, the sources that we've sought for wisdom, philosophy has been one. Uh, maybe you, you've, you've heard of different gurus in the past, and folks will go to this person and think they have all the answers, and we'll talk with them and so on. Uh, reason and, and just understanding science. Government systems, introspection, just really looking within to find the answers. Emotion, just doing whatever emotionally you want to do or, or having power. Those are all things that we think might bring us some wisdom. But if we trace history and we look at our search for wisdom, then we understand that our efforts at finding and implementing our own wisdom have failed miserably. There was an era known as the pre-modern era that led us from uh, from uh, the recorded history up until about the Renaissance, the Reformation, uh, the, the Enlightenment times, uh, sort of in that era, that that basically the prevailing thought was there is truth, there is wisdom, and it comes from God, and it comes from the scripture. That was sort of the, the basis for thought. Then we had a, a an awakening, so to speak, the Renaissance, this rebirth of knowledge and learning, and then we had the the scientific revolution, the enlightenment, and so on, which brought to us what's known as the modern era, in which it says there is truth, there is wisdom, and it comes from reason, it comes from science. It has to be seen and proven in empirical data and so on. Now sometime in the last century or so, give or take a few years, we entered what's known as the postmodern era, which says there is truth, or maybe there might be truth, there might be a little wisdom, but I can't really know for sure. And it might change depending upon the situation. And who am I to claim that I know what's right anyway? So I'll just live my life and you live your life and we'll tolerate one another. And that's the era in which we live now. The postmodern era. Now these last two eras have led us, unfortunately, to nothing but expansive and, ex- and, and expanding moral decay, and godlessness, as a result of our own quest for wisdom. I want you to don't miss this. Our own quest for wisdom, apart from God, through the last four to 500 years, our, our societies have led us to what we now have as our ultimate ethic in society, which is tolerance, except for those who are intolerant. Now consider the absurdity. And I mean that. We have that you should be tolerant of everyone unless that person is intolerant. And then you have the right to now be intolerant of them, which somehow is still tolerant, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You might be confused right now. Join the crowd. We all are confused right now by what I just said because it doesn't make any sense. That is our prevailing ethic, that, well, there might be some truth, but I'm not really sure, so we'll just be tolerant, which leads us to the idea of relevance, which means everybody can be right, except if you say somebody's wrong, and then you're wrong. But if everybody can be right, how can I be wrong for saying that you're wrong? It doesn't make any sense, and yet that's the society in which we live. Don't be naive to this. Everybody can be right except those who say someone is wrong. And who holds up the truth that says, hey, you know what? You might be wrong with that. It's us. In our society, we have degraded ourselves to the point, apart from God, that now only those who say something might be wrong can be wrong. But how can you say that I'm wrong and not be tolerant of me? It doesn't make any sense. A society like that will ultimately collapse on itself a slippery slope that leads downward to a continual what we've seen, continual redefinition of what marriage is, a continual redefinition of what constitutes a human life, a a continual redefinition or questioning of what really is right and wrong. We've seen our society slip toward those things. I heard a man preach not long ago talking about some of these same things and how we've slipped from God because what we did was we removed God from our society. And then we replaced God with other things, namely ourselves. And then ultimately, as the Bible shows, that brings the rejection of God. I say all that, not just to alarm you, but I say that because in our quest for wisdom, to know what is right, to know what to do, if it is not centered on God himself, that's where we'll wind up. The Bible holds up wisdom as something incredible, something great that adds incredible value and blessing to our lives. But if we search for it apart from God himself, then we will wind up removing God, replacing God, and being rejected by God as a society. And unfortunately, I think we are well on the way to seeing that happen in our world today. So we must return to the source, to God as the source of wisdom, asking him humbly for it, and implementing it when we receive it. Now, in the meantime, we've got to have, what the teacher will show us here, a realistic view of what wisdom can do, what it cannot do, and our response to that. So let me show you a couple of things. First of all, what wisdom cannot do. Wisdom cannot always change the system. Wisdom cannot always change the system. I want to inspire you this morning, search for wisdom from God alone because it's a slippery slope apart from Him. But I want to be honest with you to know that even in that pursuit, wisdom cannot always change the system. Verses 2 through 4 talk about this. The Jews uh, during this time often suffered at the hands of foreign oppressors and foreign kings and so on and so forth. And the teacher here kind of hints toward that, keep keep the king's command and so on and so forth. The king's word is authoritative. Who can say to him, what are you doing, or stop? There were no rules for the king. He did whatever he wanted to do. And there was nothing they could do to change that system, nothing. Because if they tried to change the system, what happened to them? They died. It was pretty simple. That was the system. You question the king, then we will see you on the other side. That's it. You may be with or without your head at that point. That's the way that it was. You cannot always change the system no matter how wise you are. You think of the authorities in your life. I know many young people struggle against the authority of their parents. And and if you're a young person still living under that authority, let me tell you, you can try to be as smart as you want to be and, you, and I know that, you, that by this point in your life, you have, you have reached the ultimate in knowledge and wisdom. I get that. I know you have, and that's fine. We all recognize it. We, we, you know, we, we, we'll agree to disagree on that, okay? But we know that you've reached that, and so as a result, then you now know more than the authority that God has placed in your life to guide you and shape you and to help you become the person God wants you to be. But if you want to really hurt your head And keep banging it against the wall trying to change the system that God has established for you in your life. You cannot, even through how smart you can become, you cannot always change the system. If you are an employee and you work in a system with a boss who is awful and nasty and ruthless and mean, you may be able to effect some change, but odds are you will not change that system. Now that may not be very encouraging this morning, but I want to be real with you and tell you the truth of the Scripture. We cannot always change the system of the laws and political powers and so on that we see in our world. We cannot always change those things. You may be in a system that is negative and awful and ruthless or just plain stupid, but you may not always be able to change that. The Bible says that you signed up for it, not just as an employee or a child, but taking an oath to God. Now you say, well, hold on, I didn't sign any papers with God, I didn't take an oath to work in this place. But when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you gave it all to Him. Or essentially, you gave nothing. But you gave it all to Him, which means that everything you do is to be for God's glory, even in that system. You are to love God completely, even in the system you can't change. You are to love others selflessly, even in the system that you can't change. You realize that wisdom is incredible, but it has some limitations. can't always change the system. Secondly, wisdom cannot always bring justice. And this may be more difficult than trying to change the system. Verses 10 through 14 highlight for us that the wicked get a proper burial. Now, we in our society, we don't think much uh, about that because we just assume that everyone deserves a proper burial regardless of who they were. But this was extremely offensive to the teacher in this particular book. He said, these people are rotten and evil and nasty and mean people. Why in the world should they be honored at their burial? You ever been to a funeral and you heard the preacher talk about the the person that, that had died and you think, who's he talking about? Now, I knew that person who's laying there and that is not who he's talking about he must be talking about somebody else I even did a funeral I even did a funeral once where I was told now now make this person sound good but not too good (laughs) okay (laughs) do do my best (laughs) you know make them sound good but not but not too good I said okay you know even those who we say oh my goodness you know I, I who is he talking about those people during this time, that, that was offensive. They get a proper burial, even an honored burial, despite their wickedness, their ruthless lifestyle. And then he goes on he says, there's a delayed sentence for criminal acts, which as a result then, then makes people think, well, if, if there's not going to be any punishment for this, well, who cares? I'll join in. You know, there is a, a benefit, at least in an earthly sense, to sin. It can get you ahead in this world. And if things are not punished, if things are not caught, if the system allows people to cheat and to steal and to do whatever they want, then it does incite others to do the same. I've seen it happen, and you have too. There is long life, he says, for the sinner, where where the, the righteous get what the wicked acts deserve, and the... The wicked get what the righteous acts deserve? He says, What in the world? This is not fair. This is not justice. And you can, with all your wisdom, try to bring justice to every situation, but evil will always outpace you. You cannot be everywhere in the world and bring justice to every situation. So you have to recognize, and I do too, that despite our efforts at wisdom, injustice still exists. Wisdom has its limits. Even if you were to be able to take justice into your own hands, you would die before you had the chance to stamp out all the injustice in the world. Wisdom, though incredibly valued, does indeed have its limits. It cannot also give absolute power. Wisdom cannot give absolute power. Now, this should give you a little bit of hope. No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, verse 8. And there is no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle. And wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. This is holding up against that king who has such authority to say, look, even you can't control the wind. Hurricane Sandy is about to hit our east coast. And I read this morning on a news site that the advice now for the people is simply to pack up and leave. That's it. Nothing else. There's no, hey, if you're going to stay, do this, this, and this, or please help us because we're all going to get out and turn our fans on and blow that thing back out of the ocean. You think, somebody probably tried it. All they can say is get out of the way. Because why? No one can restrain or control the wind. There is nothing they can do to prevent that hurricane from hitting wherever it's going to hit. They can only get out of its way. We have limitations. All the meteorologists and their incredible radar and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure you've been watching the Weather Channel. You you know the TORCON index and all that stuff when it comes up. You know what I'm talking about. Even in that, they can't stop what's going to happen. No one has absolute power. It also says in this verse, you can't prevent death. And you can't prevent aging either. I got out my yearbook for my senior year in high school. I thought about showing you some pictures, but I just thought, you know, I'm not going to do that to myself. You know, I just have some dignity. You know, I I was about 40 pounds lighter, and and I had a full head of hair, and it looked good. (laughs) Man, it looked good. And 17 short years later, here I am. I can't stop it. I, you know, I could spend a fortune, you know. and You can't stop what is inevitable. Death is inevitable. You cannot stop the aging process no matter how hard you try or how hard you want to cover it up and so on. I'm not trying to depress you. It's just reality. You can have all the wisdom in the world, but you can't prevent that. You can't be good enough or bad enough, it says, to manipulate your way around what is inevitable in life. You can't be wise enough or powerful enough or have enough money to avoid or control these things. Wisdom also cannot help you understand everything. Some things, quite honestly, are just above us. It says in verses 16 and 17 that I tried to learn everything I could. I I went after wisdom, and I ultimately realized there is a limit. I cannot get everything understood. Wisdom is needed absolutely to survive in this world, but it cannot explain everything that happens. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what disasters will await us. We don't know what good will await us. We have no idea. And so some people would say, well, I I, I just, then forget it. I don't want any wisdom at all. i just do what I want to do. Others would say, no, 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 I think you're wrong. I'm going to figure it all out. Those who, who fail to make wisdom a part of their lives suffer because of it. And those, on the other hand, who think that their wisdom will explain everything, who want to have all the answers, are very frustrated people because it's impossible. You are trying to understand what the Bible says is the unsearchable knowledge of God. He has revealed to us what He has allowed us to know. And there is so much more to who God is that we may never fully understand. He is so different, so far above us. His wisdom is unsearchable, the Bible says. So we must live somewhere in the middle of understanding life and just being content with how life is and what we don't know. You're destined for disappointment if you've got to know all the answers, because you won't. Wisdom has its limitation. You can't understand everything. But wisdom can do several things for you, and I'll get to these quickly. Wisdom can always bring hope. It can always bring hope. Why? Because the teacher holds out for us. Although a sinner commits a hundred crimes and prolongs his life, verse 12, yet I know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. It will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow because they are not reverent before God. There will be ultimate justice. It may not happen for you on this earth, but there will be ultimate justice. The wicked will be punished and the righteous will be spared. You may not experience it here on this earth, but it gives you hope that Jesus has won, already won the victory. The sentence may be delayed, but it is coming. There is hope and wisdom helps us to understand, you know what, this may not be a fair system, there may not be justice in this world, but I have hope that Jesus has already won the victory, and if my life is wrapped up in him, then I have won the victory as well. That wickedness will one day be punished. Wisdom can always bring hope. It can always also bring joy. I like verse 1 of chapter 8. A, wise, or a man's wisdom brings, brightens rather his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. <laughs> There's something about wisdom that, that brings not only just enlightenment of the mind, but an external response to that, that there is something different about those who truly understand what life is all about. It can always bring joy. And then he says in verse 15, so I command what? Enjoyment. This will accompany him... The days of his life that God has given him under the sun. He says, enjoy life. There is joy to be had through God's wisdom. Wisdom can also always bring peace. Verse 5 says it this way. The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful. There will be general peace in the life of a person who lives by God's wisdom. Not perfection, not elimination of problems, but general peace in your heart and in your mind and in your life because you are living by God's wisdom. You'll have peace in your heart also because it will help you understand and be okay, rather, with what you don't understand. Wisdom also can always bring direction. It always brings hope. It always brings joy. It always brings peace. And it can always bring direction to your life. Verses 5, the end of verse 5, says, A wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure, even though man's troubles are heavy on him. Realize that through God's wisdom, you can know how to navigate the situation that you can't change. You can know how to deal with the difficult people in your life. You can know how to face the next stage of life, though you don't fully comprehend it and would rather not go through it. You can face that knowing how to handle that, at least in general. Wisdom teaches that we should use caution when we encounter a situation we're not sure what to do, that we should be patient that we should trust the Lord, and we should maintain our integrity all the time. Those ethical dilemmas that I presented you with at the very beginning, if you live by God's wisdom, you may not know initially what your response should be, but the more you seek out God's wisdom, the more you become like Jesus Christ, the more you'll understand, here's what I must do. There will be times when you're in a a situation, a a system that you can't change, and you will be forced to choose between that system and that paycheck and that job and and whatever benefits may come with it or your integrity. You will probably encounter that. I've encountered that in my life. I had to make that choice once. The most difficult decision I've ever made. Still has ramifications to this day that aren't always positive for the way I can see life. But you may encounter that. How will you know what to do? How will you know what God wants you to do? Only through His wisdom will you know what to do in those situations. Verse 1 says this, Who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? I tell you that based upon the full revelation of Scripture, it's only the person who pursues wisdom from God that knows the interpretation of a matter that's like the wise person. Wisdom has its limits, but it certainly has great value. And we are called, according to Scripture, and commanded by God Himself to pursue wisdom despite its limitations. We're called to pursue it despite its limitations. God gives wisdom to those who will seek it from Him. This week... For the realities of life, you need what I would call a Christian mind. Not just just a, well, I know a few verses in the Bible. You need a Christian, a Christ-centered mind. A mind that's saturated and controlled by the Holy Spirit. You will need wisdom from God to successfully navigate the ever-changing circumstances that you'll face. (laughs) You have no idea what's coming tomorrow. I have no clue what I'll encounter tomorrow but I need a mind saturated with the Holy Spirit so that I can successfully navigate whatever comes my way. We're facing moral and ethical dilemmas like our world has never seen. How will we respond? What should we think about those things? We need wisdom because life is hard. And I'll tell you this, unwise living unwise living is particularly painful. Life is going to be hard regardless, but painful living comes from unwise living. You don't know what you'll face You will encounter systems and circumstances you can't change, and you'll be tempted to give up right living just because it doesn't seem to serve any purpose. It's not worth it. You'll face injustice. You won't understand everything. You need hope. You need joy. You need peace. You need direction for your life. And all of that comes through God's wisdom. So this week, I want you to make the choice very simply to pursue wisdom Through the knowledge of Christ, through obedience to His Word, and through enjoyment of the life that He gives. I want you to pursue wisdom through the knowledge of Christ, through obedience to His Word, through enjoyment of the life He gives. I want you this week, please don't put your bulletin away yet. I'll be done in just a second. I want you this week to pursue the knowledge of Christ. The Bible says that he is the full wisdom of God. You want to know what God wants from you? Look at Jesus Christ. Paul said it in Philippians. He said, all the things that I've counted as to my gain and were so valuable to me, all the stuff that I know, the person that I am, he says, I've counted it all as garbage, as a detriment to me in light of the surpassing greatness, he says, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, all the stuff I can gain on my own, cannot compare to knowing Christ. The disciples asked Jesus, how can we know the way to where you're going? He responds in John 14, 6. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. What is he implying? You need to know me, he says. You need to know Jesus Christ. The disciples always went to him with their questions. And Jesus always responded to him, helping them to know him better. Jesus himself, if you study his life, practically used wisdom all the time. He wasn't just some philosopher, guru guy who came down and sort of hovered above the ground and, and glowed a little bit. And we just, you know, He was not some fictional character like that. Jesus used the practical wisdom of God. And so when you study him, you receive the knowledge of what is right and wrong, the wisdom to know what to do. I want you to write down a reference in Scripture. I want you to read this this week. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5 through 7. The summary, essentially, of the teachings of Jesus early in his ministry and some would say even later a summary. The Sermon on the Mount. Increase your knowledge of Christ and then be obedient to his word. Don't just read Matthew 5 through 7. Put it into practice. Whoever hears these words and does not act upon them, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, is like the, the fool who built his house on the sand and all the issues of life came and beat against him. And what happened? It collapsed. His life was useless. And then finally, enjoy the life that he gives. Verse 15, I'll close with this verse. So I commend enjoyment in light of all the stuff, in light of all the limitations of wisdom, because there is nothing better for man under the sun except to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. This is not some, some worldly kind of thing eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. That's not what he's talking about. He says. Because there is nothing better for a man under the sun except to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the years of his days that who? God gives him under the sun. So quit fighting against human limitations. Begin to learn to be content, to be grateful, to be faithful to the Lord each day. As I said earlier, the wisdom that you receive here on Sunday morning from the Scripture is not enough to last you all week. You've got to pursue it for yourself. So this week... Make it your prayer, Lord, increase my knowledge of you. Increase my obedience to you. And, Lord, increase my joy from you. Let's pray together. This morning, I hope you have a glimpse of the limitation of knowledge and wisdom but I hope you have in full view Jesus Christ who can make you new in spite of the system you can't change, in spite of the injustice in this world, in spite of all the junk that you'll encounter. Jesus can make you new and give you hope and peace and joy and direction. And any hope and joy and peace and direction apart from him is false. It's false, the Bible says. So I pray this week for you that the Lord would increase your knowledge of Him. That the Lord would increase your obedience to Him and increase your joy that comes from the life that He gives. Lord, that's our prayer. That we would be made new in our minds. As your word says, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That our knowledge of you would increase. That we would seek wisdom. We would then be obedient to you so that our minds are not clouded with sin. We might learn more from you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to have joy and enjoyment from the life that you give. We thank you for how much you love us, for the hope, the peace, the joy, and the direction that you want for each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.